0: Welcome to Movable Doe. This is Steve Danielson. I'm a composer, conductor, and music educator. On this podcast, I talk with other composers and discover how they began their journey into composition. Join me each week as we explore their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. To learn more about this podcast and access a complete archive of episodes, including the series of shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website at sdcompose.com slash dough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Marie-Claire saint dong Marie-Claire is a Canadian composer from Montreal. She holds a bachelor's degree in composition from the Schulich School of Music and a master's also in composition from the Université de Montréal. She has won several awards, including the 2018 Hong Kong Children's Choir, 50th Anniversary Composition Competition, the Eastern Horizon Choral Writing Competition, and the Ruth Watson Henderson Choral Composition Competition. Marie Claire is the composer-in-residence for the Montreal Upper Voice Choir at Laysia. Marie Claire Sedon, welcome to Movable Doe.
1: Thank you, Stephen. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Good. Well, I appreciate you being able to come on the program today. I know you just wrapped up a, a huge project writing for a film. Uh, is this something you're at liberty to tell us more about today?
1: If we want to talk about it, absolutely. It's not the most joyous topic, but it's um, the, the writing of the music is, but not, not the, the topic of the film itself. It is a documentary and it is going to be a series of, of three documentaries that I'm doing with this um, with this team. Um, and the topic content warning is is sexual trafficking in Canada. Um, human that trafficking a heavy topic. of sexual nature. It's a very heavy topic, um, uh, but it's it's so prevalent. And yeah, my director is hell-bent on getting as much information out there as necessary. So the writing of the music is is strangely, it's a weird balance because you don't want to exaggerate anything. You don't want to understate anything. So how do you write music for this? Right. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's an interesting process
0: so when is the release date for this documentary
1: um the first one that we're doing right now is called trafficked voices um and it we're releasing we're having a first screening in Toronto on November 2nd I'm not I don't know yet at what screen where right? yet um and I'm I don't know yet uh, when it's going to be aired on CBC but that's it's a Canadian it's in a Canadian um, environment so we're, we're screening it in Canada first and after that I don't know where it's gonna go
0: okay all right we well, we'll keep our eyes out for it so let's go back now. Where did you begin your musical journey? Where did you grow up?
1: Um, I grew up in Ottawa. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Ottawa's the Canadian capital. I know a lot of people think it's Toronto. That's okay because <laughs> Toronto's big. And Ottawa's kind of sleepy. I get it. Um, so I grew up in Ottawa. And uh, my parents are both artists in their own right. So my mother was a singer-songwriter. And my father is a visual artist. So you can you can imagine how that happened. Happened at home so my dad had his painting studio in his room in the, a room next to my bedroom um, and my mom would write music pretty much anywhere and my brother is a pianist, so he would be practicing in the basement right which would be right under my bedroom. I would hear his piano through my bedroom um, I would be practicing violin against against my uh my desire because i didn't like practicing i still don't like practicing um and then you'd have my mother sometimes practicing cello she's just amateur cello level but or she would be playing on another piano writing songs and then my dad would be happily painting in the cacophony and that was anyway that was, those were definitely my uh, my teenage years are very clearly that was the environment i grew up in
0: <laughs> that's awesome so you were playing violin were you singing as well playing piano or was violin sort of your main instrument or what were you doing
1: I can play chopsticks on the piano um violins my main instrument and um i would yeah so i played it in like youth orchestras just like everybody that was training to be a violinist but it's, it's as i was being a teenager that i kind of switched to composition because my mom would drag me on stage with her well drag me not against my will i was very happy to do so um i i play fiddle background stuff when i was a kid Kid and even and as a teenager and sometimes I'd harmonize and that meant I had to kind of create my own licks on my instrument and maybe create new lines and kind of happened naturally that creating music was just normal uh, for me so it wasn't a huge leap for me to say hey I can actually compose music when I saw other friends in high school doing it And I thought oh right I, I guess I could do this too and yeah I started doing it in high school
0: oh that's awesome so outside of sort of what you were what you were doing or what you were creating, who are your musical idols? Who are you looking up to when you were a teenager?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, When I was a teenager, okay, very different from who I look up to now. Um, If I looked in the classical world, I absolutely loved anything that was French um, impressionist music. So Debussy, Ravel, um, Satsi, uh, all that gorgeous stuff. mainly because my brother would be playing it all the time. And for some reason I was thinking, why is there no repertoire for violin that I can play at my level that sounds gorgeous like that? <laughs> First off, my brother was more advanced as a performer. So of course you play more advanced music, uh, but also it's, it's, it's harder to find harmonically beautiful pieces that are single lined instead of harmonic with an uh, with right. a melodic instrument. So it was, anyway, it was hard for me to find it. Um, otherwise, I absolutely, I, I was fiddling a lot. So Natalie McMaster from Cape Breton in uh, Nova Scotia was uh, definitely uh, someone that influenced me. And then Oliver Schroer was a fiddler. And these are all names you probably don't know. Oliver Schroer was <laughs> an Ottawa Valley fiddler. But it's the fact that he would take trad music and, and do something contemporary and creative um with it his most awesome album that i absolutely love is um a field of stars uh the camino field of stars is a track number camino where he just he brings his fiddle he goes and records into churches with just a recorder in their different environments and improvises with his five string fiddle on the uh, uh on on the pilgrim path uh of mm. El camino
2: oh that's uh, awesome Europe.
1: and that that was just, yeah. So those those are the kinds of things that I, I was really into.
0: Fabulous. Well, would, when you were really little, did you see yourself becoming a musician or was there something else you wanted to be when you were a kid?
1: Um, I had this brief moment where I wanted to be a, a homeopath for like six months, I think, when I was 12, <laughs> only to realize I absolutely am terrified of anything has to do with with the body whenever it goes wrong. <laughs> so that, that didn't last at all. Um, yeah (laughs) so yeah i was music musician pretty much the whole time as to how i would be doing it i wasn't sure i always thought i'd be doing violin and then i decided to be a composer when i realized that i didn't like practicing violin and that i resulted in a lot of physical injuries um and i needed to take a break at one point and wanted to keep doing music and realized i could write um uh, as far as writing for voice that that will take a long time into my into my journey, let's say, before I realized I could do that.
0: OK. Well, you did mention that you were composing as a teenager. And I heard that you wrote a musical about Joan of Arc. So what, mm. how did that come about?
1: Um, it's an arts high school, so a lot of crazy things can happen there. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school, we were the last, it was weird, we were the last court where we would have a grade 13, which was kind of like a pre-university year, but it was redundant. Um, So yeah, it was the last year to do it. So they didn't have that many classes or potent classes you could take that semester because they were just abolishing all all the classes. I had a lot of free time, needed to create some credits. And there was a clever teacher that said to one of the students that was in creative writing saying, Hey, why don't you do a musical? You know, you write the text. Why don't you ask this kid? She apparently likes to write music, ask her. And we got it, we got kind of teamed up and they said, Go nuts to both of us um the the funny thing is that now one of the kids that was um in the chamber orchestra that we had formed for the musical is now a theater teacher and she just contacted me a few months ago saying guess what can we do your high school musical that you wrote again and i'm just thinking oh god
2: oh no it's full of things i would
1: want to change do i want to do this so yeah that's where i'm at with that one it's uh i liked it for what it was and i don't know if i want the public to know about it but I'll see, I'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll keep that one hidden. <laughs> so then you got to college, you started studying composition. What is one of the weirdest things you ever wrote as part of your studies?
1: <laughs> um oh my gosh. Uh was it the one where I had my roommate screaming um <laughs> or where she had her she had her highland bagpipes and I asked her to squish her highland bagpipes because it was electroacoustic music and I needed weird sounds? Um that was weird. I'd say, but nowadays I'd say it's not weird compared to all the other really cool sound object music exploration that seems to happen. For me, it was weird though.
0: Yeah. So conversely, what was one of your favorite things you wrote during your studies?
1: Something called clucking chickens. And we're talking just about my bachelor's degree right now. I'm ignoring my master's because it was a very different experience. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a solo clarinet and piano. It was the first time where I was, my teacher had, I had a very bad attitude about the composition, actually. I wanted to be there to write film music, and there was no film program. So I told myself, "I go in there and just take whatever the program was would give me and then take it and then use it the way i would want to but mcgill that's the Schulich school of music is within mcgill university um is very contemporary very avant-garde in a very specific way and that was not what i was used to so i felt i felt like my own uh i didn't have my own voice yet or so i thought and i was stifling a lot of how i wanted to write so that i could fit in the mold that i thought i was being encouraged to be which was not the case at all, but that's that's how I was perceiving it. Uh-huh. So I wouldn't be writing music that I liked most of the time, and then that one point, uh, I don't know how that came about, but I just I just said oh to heck with it, and I I just did something really silly, talking you know clucking chickens or the pecking order, and somehow my teacher said yeah go with it, and I went what really, and it's just it was just this kind of little series of musical images of oh yeah here's like the The dawdling chicken, here's the mean chicken and here all the chickens going crazy, but doing that musically and somehow I really loved it. And my teacher liked it. Um, So that was a revelation to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. I'd I'd love to hear clucking chickens at some point. You said it was also called (laughs) the pecking order.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) So as mentioned at the top of the show, and uh, you just mentioned, you also composed for film projects. Uh, So how did you get started writing for film? How did you finally get into that?
1: Mm. So, um, first off when I was in high school, uh, I did not want to go into choral music. I didn't even know it was a viable career. I wanted to go into film music and it's the same reason a lot of people in my few years wanted to do film music because we all saw Lord of the Rings, which came Ah. out when we were in high school. Um, and yeah, so I was, you know, chasing that dream like everybody else, um, and with a lot of reflection uh, upon reflection it's definitely more about the collaboration um, that I was looking for that. But I didn't know back then, but I was just, I was really, I, I loved the production itself. So I thought I wanted to do a big fantasy film, but, but really what I wanted was the the implied camaraderie that you'd see in the making ofs of those films. They put so much making of in the back. And I hadn't realized that what I saw was the whole teamwork and creative back and forth that was going with a project that you're, when you're part of as opposed to being a composer where you're alone all the time and writing your own music yourself that you generate I have this kind of false dichotomy too in my head that. You you know working in a film you're in a team and working as a composer alone you're not in a team where there are all kinds of ways, you can work, but anyway that's that's something else so. Um, my master's degree, uh, there was one class at mcgill university uh, that did film music jumped into that. That when I got the chance and then teacher there created a, um, a master's degree at University in Montreal for audiovisual music production. So I jumped into that and uh that's how I did my master's. It took me a while to find uh clients because it was such a new program and it was someone who was the director was someone who was used to being part of the studio system, whereas nowadays most people aren't necessarily part of studios. You have to mm-hmm. create your own network. You have to find your own people to work with. And I had no tools on how to do that. We were a little, left on our own, in our, with our own devices for that. Um, so I ended up joining the choir, and singing for fun because I wasn't doing much film-wise. I had just one client uh, who was doing a lot of. I was doing a lot of business corporate mm-hmm. videos with them. Um, and then the next thing I knew, I was writing music for choir, because the director was like, hey, you write music, you're writing our next Christmas tune, you are now going to go to this crazy piece for narrator and dancer and, and you know, whatever. Just, that's where I ended up developing my voice a lot for choir. Oh,
0: that's um, awesome. And
1: then it's only after the whole getting back into film is a whole different, weird, random series of events that got me back into film. Um so I'm not gonna get into that one. Let's just say there's a lot of just coincidences. It was hilarious. Anyway, yeah. So yeah. Now so I'm doing when you both.
0: when you sit down to work on a film, like as you're watching, are you trying to sync through new themes? Are you at a piano? Like what? What's sort of your beginning process as you're starting?
1: Mm. Um, I have a very collaborative director, so we sit down. We do a spotting session, which means we watch the film at least once and we just uh and when i say watch the film i mean it's not even close to being picture lock which means scenes can change scenes can be added length of scenes can drastically change so i can't write anything that's solid yet no strong melodies no um no hits to images unless it's very very obvious there's a specific movement that we're going to keep for the whole film so uh, we sit down and we actually talk about the scene, we talk about, okay, what's music is there for the emotion more than anything, it takes care of the emotion of the film. Um, how do we want to treat this emotion? Do we want to make people feel a certain way? Or do we want people to realize the person that's talking is feeling a certain way? So we're we're trying to differentiate those two things first. Mm. It's, it's very, <laughs> it's very analytical at first. Um, so I get those types of parameters down. And then depending on how the scenes are filmed, do we want to start do we want to take this little chunk? these 30 seconds these two minutes maybe maybe not um, and more more than more than anything we try to see if there are specific themes. Not musical themes, but uh thematic like topic themes that are recurring through the through the film so. Um, in our current film traffic voices is that so there's the commodity theme let, let's say so humans are being treated as commodity um, that you can purchase, that you can buy, that are not human, that are dehumanized. Can we have some sort of theme for that? Where are we going to use it? What's this theme going to be? It's mostly texture based as opposed to melody based too. So what kind of texture, what kind of sound? We're not talking about traditional instruments. So I have to go through thousands of synth sounds uh, uh, to see what do I like, what kind of, or more importantly, what does the director like and give her iterations of types of sounds we can use. And inevitably it comes down to her listening to it while looking at the image going yes or no. If it's a no, then I got to go back and try something else. If it's a yes, then I get to tweak it more and more and more and more.
0: Awesome. Well, that's a, it's a great process. And I've, I have never composed for film and hope to one day, but I I don't know. It makes me nervous, but I love hearing you talk about it.
1: (laughs) I'm lucky to have a director that brings me in the project really early, so we can have these discussions, because I'm otherwise very slow uh, with the technology. <laughs> I'm only on my—I just finished my second film with her, and before that, I'd—I'd basically just done the the short corporate video. So this is still fairly new to me too, at the level I'm doing it. Um, I know that for a lot of films, people need to be really fast; they have like four weeks, right? And I'm really, really, really lucky that I have at least a year, usually if not yeah. six months. It's, it's great.
0: All right. I got one more question for you before we take a break. And this is a random non-music related question. What is your favorite holiday movie? And what do you think that says about you? Oh no. <laughs> uh,
1: which, which, what holiday are you talking about? It's like sort winter? Of,
0: yeah. Winter, Christmassy sort of movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have, I'm going to have to say love. Actually, I'm a big sucker for love. Actually. Uh, um because i like structure i love structure i love storytelling and i love the and of course so it's the fact that every single storyline that's happening is all ends up all intertwined at the end together i like that
0: okay excellent
1: also that i'm a big romantic and a big suck So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll listen to some of marie claire's compositions Welcome back. This is Steve Danielson. I'm talking today with Marie Claire Sanden. Uh, We're going to start today with Blinded by a Leafy Crown for a double SSA choir. So this song uses text from Sarah Teasdale. Um, How did you go about using the text in your composition?
1: Mm. So it was the year when lots of Teasdale became released to public domain. Mm -hmm. And I just kept seeing other Teasdales being used very recently and just every time there was a good text i thought oh she must have a plethora of really 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 good things so when um um this was commissioned by Carlesia, caradlesia which is my my choir here in montreal and they they tend to tell me eh, do whatever that's the wonderful thing of being a composer in <laughs> residence with the choir you get along with uh so i just kind of told myself great this is the chance to read through all of as well i think i went through all of her or poems and this one was the only the only one that really stuck out for me um and it wasn't just oh well i guess i'll use this one but it just hit me like a mac truck um I, it's to this day is one of my favorite texts that i've set to music and i it's a tough act to follow to find some something of that structure level of that trajectory that it has of what it means and getting goosebumps just thinking about the text right now it's fantastic <laughs> so that's how I came about it um the writing itself took two weeks because I was very last minute for this one which really surprises me that it came the way that it came out actually came out wonderfully
0: so more importantly what is the narrator blinded from because we blinded by a leafy crown what do you think the narrator's blinded from and how do we fl- reflect that in the music
1: yeah so um in the poem itself the title of the poem is actually leaves so um sarah Teasdale compares in her first few line in the poem that uh her faiths so her beliefs uh are are what are are what the leaves are a metaphor for so um one by one like leaves from a tree my faiths all my faiths ha- have have forsaken me abandoned me? I can't remember what that but basically have left me have abandoned me um, so those leaves could be anything um, and that I let I let the choristers I let the director interpret it um, people can take it as literal faith if, if there's anybody that's ever been through a, a religious faith crisis then you can see it as that um, you can see it as as false beliefs about yourself um, you can see it as false beliefs about others um, and the piece itself really is about you're being you're being blinded by these beliefs um and i i think they're they're supposed to be positive beliefs but false positive beliefs because she she then says later on in the text i um i'm paraphrasing uh that she uh, um the interlo- uh, interlocutor oh boy i'm very bilingual until i get to a fancy french word and don't know how to translate it the the inter <laughs> person that's talking the narrator um says you know um i used to uh i used to love just being pretty and you know all that stuff and just flitting around and in and, and during life I'm totally massacring the poor poem right now uh but this these these false beliefs of what this person should be uh drop at one point and she was very comfortable in them yet once they drop she can now uh see the sky above and feel the earth below so it's kind of it kind of opens up for something much more bigger a much more awe-inspiring beautiful world that she can now discover without all these leaves blinding her
0: that's fantastic all right we are going to now listen to Cora adlesia uh perform blinded by a leafy crown All right. Our next piece today has a French name. And so I apologize if I don't say this correctly. Terre Neuve. Terre Neuve. Terre Neuve. Yeah, I knew I would not do it. French is not my strong subject.
1: (laughs) French Uh, is hard.
0: (laughs) So it's the the French name for Newfoundland. Um, So like I said, I don't speak French. I don't pronounce it well. But I love the poem that was used for this. Could I read the English translation for it?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. Land splattered with shrieks of sun, with colors of ocean and rock, rust red, the cliff splits, crackling ice, a fresh taste of shivering snow, stirs a shrouded memory, mingles with the wind, spirals vibrant with the salt of a joy newfound. So I love the energy and passion at the beginning. And then there's this like unexpected shift in feel and mood in the song, which I absolutely loved. Tell us what you were hoping to capture as you wrote this.
1: Hmm. So the commission was for the national youth orchestra, not choir orchestra, uh, because they usually have the mandate to actually sing uh, in their training. And they usually like to then use whatever they learned as singing um, during their training as an encore at the end of their concerts when they do tours. So this, that year they were touring, um, well, a bit of Canada as usual and, um, I'm thinking edinburgh edinburgh so scotland um and uh the commissioner wanted something that was specifically just canadian as canadian as you can get and i didn't feel i didn't have time it was a very short turnaround for that one too um and i didn't want to write my own text i wasn't comfortable yet so i i luckily found this poem and when i say luckily this is the Second favorite. Again, equal to blinded by leafy Brown. I absolutely <laughs> adore Annick's poem. She just passed away a couple of years ago, but oh my gosh, this this poem has been that that's it's the counterpart of blinded, but in French. So I use those two poems as like the standard of I want poems like this. Um so neuve uh I found described one particular region of canada really really well newfoundland which for those who don't know it's um the easternmost tip of canada which is just like the, that big island looking chunk on the east um and it's very craggy um it's very rough in every type of element possible lots of wind lots of ice icebergs that it just it's a lovely lovely piece of the part of the country but what i liked about the poem is not only did it describe it very well um you don't have to know about Newfoundland, you don't even need to know it's talking about Newfoundland for the text to evoke something within you. And there are so many other things you can interpret in there. What, like at the end, there's a shrouded memory that comes out. Whose shrouded memory is it? What is it? And why is it cracking out of the iceberg now? What is it representing? Is it, does it have to do with... And then this is where interpretation can come there once again. Do the choristers decide this is a personal thing? Do the choristers decide that this is about the First Nations voices that are coming back to own their land, that are now freed? Hopefully, that'll be wonderful. Um, Things like that. And who knows?
0: Okay. Well, we are going to listen to Ternev, performed here by the National Youth Orchestra of Canada. third piece today, When a Thought of War Comes. This piece is inspired by the quotation used at the beginning of the work by Persian spiritual leader, Abdul Baha. Uh, the The quote says, when a thought of war comes, oppose it by a stronger thought of peace. A thought of hatred must be destroyed by a more powerful thought of love. So you chose to make the choral parts wordless. Why?
1: I was dared to. <laughs> 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 I was challenged to by a colleague. Um, I was at the Banff Arts Centre for a, a three-week um, uh, workshop. Uh, three, uh, Five composers and five choral conductors were put together um, from around the world. And um, for those of you listening, if you're a conductor or a composer, you are completely, totally allowed to go and apply to the Banff Arts Program, the choral, the choral program, and it's fantastic and they pay most of it for you go try it out it's wonderful so they their um hope litwin who's a composer from new york was one of the other composers that was there and she was mentioning how she always uses no most of the time wouldn't use text as much to build her piece whereas i was lamenting that i i love poetry like Technov and and blinded so much that i i feel like i can't allow myself to just write music without having a strong poetic structure and then she just said well we're here to train and you know develop and explore why don't write a piece that has no text um and that was a huge challenge for me and um yeah during one of the workshops that i remembered this quote um i am i, I am a behind myself so i i know i knew this quote by her. it just kind of floated in my head and went oh right that could be fun um and it was a good exercise in still having to create the structure and trying to understand what i was I personally was trying to say because we 're not we 're not thinking about literal love and literal war uh and annihilating annihilating each other, but more when a thought of war comes that means it's within your head, which means we're talking about meditation here we're talking about awareness we're talking about. Okay, if I have this angry thought, well, you know, start again, cut it out, and then start that peaceful way of thinking again. and where does anger and war, where does war come from in your mind when you're thinking when you would have a thought of war well maybe something scared you and because of that fear then you start hating something and then because you start hating something maybe you get angry at it every time you think about it to the point that you get very violent in your thoughts this is a very extreme way of thinking but there are all these different steps and the peace itself goes through all these things and the discerning listener has to be very 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 discerning but you will notice that the uh, the gasping and some kind of sound starting that represents hate Um but what really triggers that is that the bases when they come in they kind of just scare the tenors which is kind of funny but it's not uh, that, meant that, to that's genom- be funny it. but that was <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was that my personal
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, uh I needed something I, even though it's not audible I needed something to make sense out of all of this structure structurally and you'll notice at the end of the piece once peace has come back the ticket the, the the hate comes back again because this is not a one-time deal you have to do in your mind you got to do this every five seconds sometimes depending on where you're at mentally in your life or once every five days who knows if you're a very peaceful person awesome but that's that's basically what it is.
0: That sounds awesome. Well, we will try to discern as we listen. This is uh, When a Thought of War Comes, uh, performed here by Votus Nordicay.
1: When a thought of war comes, oppose it by a stronger thought of peace. A thought of hatred must be destroyed by a more powerful thought of love.
0: Our last piece today, The Girl with the Numbers for SSA Acapella Choir. So this piece is about Katherine Johnson, a woman that many of us didn't know about until relatively recently, thanks to a slew of recent books and biopic films. She was the African-American woman at NASA who was able to do the calculations for John Glenn's historic orbit around the earth, the human computer. So when did you first learn about Katherine Johnson and what inspired you to write this piece?
1: I first learned about her when all the f- when the film came out, the biopics, <laughs> um, and because there's this whole slew of of choral pieces about stars and space, and it's it's always so awe inspiring. Um, it's easy to imagine that anything that has to do with NASA could be star kind of field of spaceness that you could take and say yes i can write a piece about stars this is awesome so what happened is um la cachina in um, in chicago was going to do a concert called the matriarchy and they were looking for pieces specifically that were talking about women in the stem fields and of course we don't have a lot of choral pieces specifically about that so right. they wanted to commission me and they said well here's a list of people that you could you could have a portrait for about them and when i saw katherine johnson's name i went oh yes nasa that'd be fun sky space yay and then (laughs) of course i read her autobiography and it was nothing about stars and sky and space (laughs) it was about math and it was about all the freaking biases she had to bust through to do what she wanted to do and so my piece is not about stars and space and all that stuff it's It's about how numbers followed her wherever she went in the same way that so many musicians have music running in their head she has numbers running in her head which i found fascinating um she has this deep love of of challenging people's beliefs all the time and she's a consummate educator um so i just i as soon as I read the first chapter of her autobiography, which was for young adults, so it's very accessible. Um, I just, I was hooked. I loved her attitude. I loved everything about her. Um, so I wanted to write a piece about her. <laughs> Ironically, it's the first time I write my own lyrics and it's very far removed from my own personal experiences. So I had to talk to a bunch of people from different communities to <laughs> check in on language and things. You'll, you'll hear the text. It'll be obvious, it become obvious, but I had a great time just creating those dancing numbers and uh yeah
0: all right well combining math and music here's the girl with the numbers performed by la Cucina.
2: Say, how we sent to send one to send to send one to send
0: Well, Marie-Claire, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? I know you just wrapped up the film project. So what's sort of next on the horizon for you?
1: Mm. So immediately I have two other pieces that I'm writing. One about, um, one that's a, a dedication to the mother of a of a chorister in a small ensemble in Ottawa who suddenly passed away last year. But this person was very much of a supporter of Franco-Ontarian artists. And I'm Franco-Ontarian. I'm French speaking and I was born and raised in Ottawa, which is in the province of Ontario, we're a very small French speaking community, but it's very active. Um, So I'm having this interesting back and forth with uh, that family who's one of one individual is a singer songwriter. So he's helping me with certain text segments but he himself being a singer songwriter he doesn't want to write a full poem for me because if he does that he will be writing music for it that's the way he writes (laughs) so he's just sending me little little snippets and i have to make sense and again bring my own structure to the piece um so i'm writing lyrics and and music right now that's the first one and the second one is i had a crazy fun time looking for the source of a latin text for an easter text by saint ambrosia and um Finally found it, and now I'm going to do an Easter piece, because apparently we don't have enough of those, according to one of my <laughs> publishers.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, if my listeners want to learn more about you and your music, where are you located online? Where can they find you?
1: Uh, they have to spell out my very complicated, annoying French name, Marie And uh, they will find my website and I have everything there. So access to every score that I sell, whether myself or through my editors and publishers uh, and recordings and concert dates and stuff.
0: Okay, well, I will put that link in the show notes as well so people can find it without having to spell too much. Hey listeners, have you heard something today that you think a friend of yours might enjoy? Please like the podcast through your podcast provider, then share it with your friend. The more you can like and share the more the algorithm recognizes Movable Dough as a podcast to recommend, and we get the podcast to a larger audience. So thank you for your support of Movable Dough, Well, Marie Claire, it has been great to talk to you today and get to know you and your music. Thank you for joining me on Movable Dough.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My guest today was Marie Claire Sedon. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. Stop it,